The town of Nazareth is what we today might call flyover town. One commentator describes it as, quote, an obscure hamlet of earthen dwellings chopped into 60 acres of rocky hillside, the total population of 500 at the most. It is a place where everybody knows everybody, where people are born, live, and die in relative obscurity. The people who live there are not accustomed to crowds or demonstrations or excitement. It's said that when the disciple Nathaniel first heard about Jesus, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, as far as we can tell, Jesus is a hometown boy. His childhood there is apparently so unremarkable that the gospel writers apparently didn't think it was worth mentioning more than once. And the one story they do tell, the story in Luke about Jesus sitting quietly listening to teachers in the temple. Not exactly the height of excitement. When Jesus becomes an adult, he takes up his father's trade of carpentry, working alongside him and his brothers on jobs in Nazareth and the surrounding areas. So to everyone in Nazareth, Jesus seems destined for a normal Nazarene life, working in the family business. And then one day, word reaches Nazareth that a man named John has mysteriously appeared in the wilderness and set up camp on the banks of the Jordan River. Apparently, he is drawing crowds from all across the Judean countryside, and even from Jerusalem, the big city. Hundreds of people are coming to the Jordan, confessing their sins and being baptized in the water. Some are suggesting that John is actually the prophet Elijah, who was long ago taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot, and whose return would signal the end of the age. And most of the residents of Nazareth scoff at this news. The trip to the Jordan would take several days, which is way too much effort for a rumor, even one as sensational as this. And not to mention, Nazareth is just four miles from where Rome's appointed governor of the area lives. So too much talk about returning prophets and the end of the age might cause trouble. It's probably better to keep your head down and stay at home. But Jesus has a faint memory of a story his mom once told him about his cousin, John no one has seen for years. When John was born, just a few months before Jesus, his father, Zechariah, prophesied that John would go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So what if this John, shaking things up on the banks of the Jordan, what if that John is his cousin? What if the rumors are true? What if salvation really is 
at hand. Jesus needs no more convincing. He packs up some supplies, bids his family farewell, sets out east towards the Jordan. Most of his family and friends expect that he will be gone no more than a week or so. But a week passes, Jesus has not returned. And a week turns into two, and three, and four. Jesus is gone for months. No one has any clue where he is or even if he is still alive. Then, new rumors start to trickle. Did you hear? Apparently, Jesus got baptized or something, and then he spent a bunch of time in the desert. And now he's going around telling people that the kingdom of God has come near. Where on earth did he hear that? Well, I heard that Jesus has been casting out demons from people. He's a carpenter, not an exorcist. That's a little sus. I heard he's been healing people. He touched a leper and healed him. And apparently, somebody over in Capernaum was paralyzed and he healed him too. He even said that his sins were forgiven. Well, I heard he's been getting into arguments with Pharisees, and there's no way he's smart enough for that. Nazareth is buzzing. Everybody in Nazareth is wondering whether this is all true. Whether their Jesus, meek, mild-mannered, moderately pious, carpenter Jesus, born under questionable circumstances, could he really be the person at the center of all of these stories? As it turns out, he is. So when he returns home, the rumors of Jesus' transformation are confirmed. When he arrives in the synagogue, a horde of disciples in tow and out preaches everyone who steps into the pulpit. One might think that the people of Nazareth would be thrilled. Someone from their hometown, rising to never before seen heights of fame and honor, if this happens today, we might expect them to commission a new Welcome to Nazareth sign, one that includes the words, Home of Jesus, Rabbi, Prophet, and Exorcist. But as you heard in our reading for today, the people of Nazareth are anything but thrilled. In fact, they are scandalized and offended. In her commentary on this passage, one of my all-time favorite preachers, Reverend Dr. Raquel Letson, explains why. Jesus messes things up. He disrupts people's perspectives of who they are and who they can be. This is not always welcome news. It is not euangelion, good news, to everyone. For some, this gospel, packaged in the person and performance of Jesus Christ, does not herald their victory, but their defeat. It defeats their notions of who they are and who they can be. Jesus' return home 
has shown the people of Nazareth that it is possible to leave and come back with a deeper, richer vision of how life can be lived. And whether we chalk it up to fear, ignorance, or ideological disagreement, one thing is abundantly clear. They are not ready for this vision. And because they are not ready for it, they react out of insecurity, seeking to diminish Jesus just as they feel diminished. So they remind him of his proper trade as a carpenter and his proper place as the eldest sibling who should be at home, not gallivanting around the countryside. And since lineage was normally traced through the father, Calling Jesus son of Mary is almost certainly meant to imply that Jesus' real father is unknown and that he is therefore an illegitimate child. This is not the welcome Jesus was hoping for. He stays for a little while longer trying to do his work, but he is deeply wounded by their lack of belief. And we know this because once he leaves, he never goes home again. Now this story breaks my heart. Not just because it happens to Jesus, but because it keeps happening over and over again to so many of us. College is a time of immense change and transformation. When it begins, many of us leave home as one person and then return as someone very different. And that change is not always received with joy. So perhaps we find a deeper, more mature faith that is also foreign to the people we used to worship. Perhaps we have decided that we want to change our major pursue a different career path, one that fills our soul with joy, but our parents' worry will leave us broke and jobless. Perhaps we have realized that a relationship with a friend or a partner is no longer helping us grow and flourish, we decided it needs to come to an end. These are just a few examples of the kinds of ways we change on this journey. Undoubtedly, you can think many more. Now, theologians would call these changes sanctification. God's Spirit transforming us ever more into the image and likeness of Jesus. Helping us grow in things like love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This journey of change and transformation, it is worth it. It is so worth it. It is worth it to listen to the voice of God calling us toward a deeper, richer vision of how life can be lived. Even though it's worth it, it is still deeply painful when the people we love 
ready for the person we are becoming. There's a very real temptation to avoid that pain by going home as a diminished version of ourselves, of hiding what God has been doing in and through us. So as many of us prepare to return to our own Nazareth, I wonder what it might look like for us to follow Jesus' example, to resist the temptation to hide our light under a bushel, and instead to show up as our full selves, to, as we often say, bring all of who we are. Can we trust that the person God is forming us into is worth sharing with others, even though it is hard? Can we trust that even when it seems like no one understands us, God is still at work in us and in them? Jesus' experience back home in Nazareth was heartbreaking. But that heartbreak did not deter him on his mission. He remained committed to that deeper, richer vision of life called the kingdom of God. When things at home did not turn out as he hoped, he fell back on others who shared that vision. And so, friends, if home is hard for you, know that you do not have to bear that burden alone. Look to your left and to your right. There are others who are walking this journey with you. Know that if you turn to God in prayer, that God is there. And not as a stranger to your pain, but as one who has lived it and chooses to live it again with each of us because they love us. Friends, we are not alone. You are not alone. I am with you. God is with you. The people in this room and beyond are with you. And may the knowledge of who goes with us give us the strength to make the journey home and wherever else God may lead us.